Well, harvest and uh, thankfulness go hand in hand, don't they? Uh, The reason that we have harvest is to say thank you to our maker for providing another crop, uh, another year of food for us to eat. Uh, It's strange a little bit now since so few of us work with the land, isn't it? Uh, And so much of our food comes from all over the world. So that now we have year-long access to pretty much anything that we could want. Uh, Even those obscure fruits and things that we mentioned uh, earlier. Whatever we want, we can get whatever the harvest has been like in the UK. But I think because of that, we're prone not to thankfulness, but to forgetfulness. We forget to thank God for the good things that he's given us. And at first we might think that's quite trivial. But we all know that feeling, don't we, when we've not been thanked for something that we've done. We all know that sort of good feeling that, you know you're not supposed to feel that way, in a way. But when you've not been thanked for something, it really does hurt sometimes. When people have enjoyed the good things that God has given them without even stopping uh, so much to thank him for what he has done. We feel bad, don't we, when those sort of things happen to ourselves. Well, our story this morning is just such a time. It's a story from Luke's Gospel that we've been going through the last few weeks. And we're going to see nine unthankful people. Now, unlike the last few weeks when we've been looking at Luke, this is not a story that Jesus told. This is a story that actually happens to Jesus. This is Jesus in the action there. Uh, We're looking at an eyewitness account of what Jesus did. Now, thankfulness is not going to be the only lesson as we look into this passage this morning. There are actually three lessons that we'll learn, and thankfulness comes at the end. So please bear with as we go through. But the first thing we see in our passage is that outsiders are welcome. Outsiders are welcome. You find it helpful to have the passage open in front of you. Have you ever felt like an outsider? Uh, I used to get taken along to 60s music concerts with my sister when I was a teenager. And uh, I felt pretty out of place, if I'm honest, a bit of an outsider. We were the youngest people there, uh, probably by at least 30 years. Um, The next people were generally my parents. Uh, We were the only ones that weren't dancing in the aisles by the end of it. Uh, We're the only ones uh, that hadn't seen the groups the first time round, so we couldn't reminisce uh, with everybody else. Uh, We were so obvious that actually one time I even got pulled up onto stage, because I was so obvious that I wasn't with the rest of the people there. And being an outsider is, is not a nice feeling, is it? The men that Jesus meets here, the lepers, are outsiders. Their physical condition made sure of that. They had a skin disease, and in the first century... This is what you had to do. If you look on the back of your notice sheets, there's a quote there from Leviticus 13, 45 to 46. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, it's not really a pleasant thing to talk about skin diseases and leprosy on a Sunday morning, but we need to get our head around this if we want to get our head around what's going on in the passage. You see, what they had uh, in this passage meant that they weren't allowed to live amongst other people. They had to shout out if anyone came near them, unclean, unclean. Their only company, it seems, seems to be each other. We find a couple of times in the Bible that sort of lepers band together in groups. But this was a socially debilitating disease. The disease it mentions there is almost certainly not leprosy as we have it today. 
Uh, it's more commonly called Hansen's disease. Um, there are several diseases in the Bible that are described with different symptoms that are all called leprosy. Modern leprosy is life-threatening. But for some of these people, actually, their symptoms wouldn't have been that bad. They probably have a rash or a patch of infected skin. It was no threat to their life, but it was a life sentence of solitude and being ostracised by the rest of society. The reason for their harsh treatment was understandable in a world before modern medicine. The diseases that are described in the Bible that we understand as leprosy were contagious diseases. And an outbreak of even something minor could be life-threatening for the vulnerable and weak, for the elderly and the infirm. By doing this, it was a sort of way of protecting the people. Uh, So it was effectively a quarantine to keep people safe. But for the people who were there in quarantine, it was an awful condition. They were social outcasts and their hope of a normal life was dashed. But they weren't just social outcasts, they were religious outcasts too. They were not allowed into the temple, the centre of Jewish life. They were unclean and as such they were excluded from the religious life of Israel. Now it's hard to explain the notion of unclean or what it meant to be excluded from temple life in the 21st century. Because we just don't have those ideas. But imagine like a big festival like Christmas. And you not being able to go, you not being able to join in. You're not invited. Everybody's celebrating, but you're deliberately left on the outside. Imagine this morning, instead of coming in and there being the welcome team on the door welcoming you in, instead you had a big guy as a bouncer, sort of checking if you could come in or not. And actually, if you had one of these things, they would throw you out of the temple. Or imagine this sort of divide that you have between clean and unclean. Imagine places where there have been racial segregation. Think of apartheid in South Africa. Black and white segregation in America. Imagine being that group that's not allowed access to your national life. Who has to keep a distance from their so-called fellow countrymen, but actually you're treated very differently. We still get this idea of clean and unclean for foods. So the idea of kosher foods that you get with the Jewish religion uh, really means foods that are clean and allowed. They're kosher. So to be unclean was to be the opposite. It was to be like pork to a Jew, if you like. Disgusting, revolting, forbidden. But it was even more than that. Not only were they socially debilitated and religiously debilitated. Actually, we find out in a twist of the tale at the end that at least one of these people was a Samaritan. They were in the borderlands, you see we read in verse 1. Sorry, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So they're in the sort of area, and then we find out uh, right at the end, or towards the end, uh, verse 16, now he was a Samaritan. You see, we've been assuming all along, as we've been describing, that actually they're from Galilee, where Jesus came from, a Jewish part of the country. But at least one of them was a Samaritan. Now, you may have heard of the Good Samaritan. But that might give you a bit of a false impression. Because the reason that that story was supposed to be so shocking is that the Jews hated Samaritans. Uh, There was no such thing as a good Samaritan. That's what they would think. It would be like the tale of the generous Yorkshireman. That sort of idea. Or or the lazy German. It would be breaking the stereotype. So Samaritans were hated by Jews. 
And the reason that Jesus would be in the borderlands of Samaria is that once the Jews reached Samaria from Galilee, they'd walk around the outside of Samaria. They'd walk through the borderlands rather than go through the middle. They hated them so much they wouldn't even go through their land. The Jews considered them heretics and impostors. You see, in the Old Testament, when the northern part of Israel was taken away, they were in part replaced by the nations around them. So the Samaritans were mixed race. And for the Jews who kept themselves away from non-Jews, that was too much. They also only held to the first five books of the Bible and rejected all the other books of the Bible. Where God's purposes, if you think about it, for the rest of the Bible, start to focus on Jerusalem. So they didn't worship in Jerusalem, as that's not mentioned in the first five books. Instead, they worshipped at an altar in a place called Mount Gerizim. And the Jews hated that place too. So especially this one that we focus on towards the end of our passage, he's a total outsider. He's socially cast out, he's religiously cast out, and he's nationally cast out as well. And yet, Jesus welcomes him. Jesus heals him. Jesus accepts him. Jesus helps him. It's there to show us that there is no one beyond God's love and care. God cares for the poor and needy. He cares for the socially ostracized. He cares for the outsider and he offers mercy. So we need to ask ourselves this morning as we look at this passage, are we like the Lord Jesus? Do we care for the poor and needy? Do we care for the social outcast? Do we only care for people like ourselves? Or do we care for those whom society ignores or marginalises? Now, as I said last week, we'll have different opinions as to how we care for those people. But whatever our opinions are, we should be doing something to help the needy and vulnerable. That might be giving money to homeless charities. It might be giving time to help at the food bank, which will be busy at harvest. It might be giving support to local charities like Caring for Life, who care for vulnerable adults. And at church, do we welcome the outsider? Do we just talk to the easy people or do we look out for everybody? Do we welcome everyone, whatever the colour of their skin, whatever the brand of their clothes, whatever their level of education? God cares for all people, regardless of what society thinks of them. And he wants us to care for all people too. Now our care for the poor doesn't make us friends with God. It cannot make up for the wrong things that we do. But if we have experienced God's mercy, then we will want to show mercy to others too. So that's the first thing that we learn. Outsiders are welcome. And we see that in the way that Jesus welcomes this man. The second big thing we see is that cleansing is possible. We live in a world of wonders, don't we? Diseases that used to be a life sentence can now be cured with a few tablets a day. Modern medicine is taking huge leaps every year in the fight against cancer in the fight against heart disease, in the fight against HIV and AIDS. Diseases such as smallpox have been totally eradicated. We still have a long way to go, and all of us know people for whom those conditions and diseases are still a life sentence, are still debilitating. But the progress that we've made in the past 100 years has been incredible. We have many things to give thanks to God for in those areas. But in Jesus' day here... There was no such progress. Whatever the actual nature of their skin disease, we do know from the way it's described in the Bible and in other literature that there was no hope of a cure. 
There was no antibiotics, no cortisone cream. Your very skin bore witness that you were still an outcast. Leprous diseases in Jesus' day seem to have been pretty much a lifetime thing. On top of that, we see, can't we, that lepers travel together. And if you get a community where you have various skin diseases that are infectious, it will probably mean that your condition will be worse by the end of it uh, than when you start it. So here in our passage, we have a community of ten lepers. Uh, So verse 12, and as he entered the village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. They had to stand away, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, when people approached. It's a community of ten no-hopers, in a way. Calling out to Jesus for mercy. Do you see that there in verse 13? And lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now it's hard to know exactly what they expected. Perhaps they'd heard that Jesus could heal the sick. He's done it many times in Luke's Gospel. Perhaps he's heard that Jesus welcomed outsiders. If you think about it, the whole last section was to do with how Jesus was spending his time with misfits, no matter how socially unacceptable it was. Perhaps really they're just after material things. You know, Jesus is heading up a band of pilgrims going to Jerusalem. Perhaps they give them something to eat. Well, Jesus lifts his voice up and tells them to go show themselves to the priests. You see that there in verse 14? When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now that might seem a bit like an anticlimax there. You know, in other places when Jesus has healed people, he's sort of done something quite dramatic. But here he just tells them to go. Go to the priests. And it seems a bit anticlimactic until you realise... But actually, the reason that they go to the priests, the only reason any lepers would go to the priests, is in order to be, to be pronounced clean. The priests were sort of inspectors who would look at people who had leprosy, and they were the only ones that could pronounce them clean. So, sure enough, on the way, they are healed. Or in the words of our passage, they're cleansed. Have a look at the second part of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, you could be healed of an illness, but you need to be cleansed from uncleanness. And there's a significant difference. See, health has to do with your physicality. Cleanness has to do with your spirituality. Jesus here doesn't just fix bodies. He fixes our relationship with God. They can now be welcomed in. They can now be accepted. You see, all the way through the Bible, leprosy in its various forms is used as a sign of something far worse. The pollutedness of the body is a picture of the pollutedness of the soul. In fact, those who had, it's not that those who had leprosy were worse than other people, but their physical condition is a picture of the spiritual condition that we all have to one degree or another. Uncleanness of the soul. Outcast not from society, but from God. And the reason Jesus performed physical cleansings like this one in the Bible is to show us that he can do the spiritual cleansing that we all need. The Bible says that all of us are blemished, not physically, but morally and spiritually. We don't live up to our own moral standards, let alone the standards that we see in the Bible. We feel dirty inside. Some of us are painfully aware of our inadequacies in those areas. Others, it only hits at a very low point in their life. But all of us have this problem inside us. 
that's in need of cleansing. And this amazing healing, this amazing cleansing is there to show us that Jesus can cure more than our eczema or acne. It's there to show us that Jesus can do something far more amazing than that. Jesus can cleanse our soul. He can make us clean within. Now that doesn't turn us into supermen or superwomen who never mess up. But it does fix our problem of being spiritual outcasts. Not even able to approach God. If we do as the lepers did and ask him for mercy, he will do it. If we ask forsaking our old ways of dirtiness and ask in faith for him to do it, he will do it. Now faith is quite a jargony word, isn't it? But faith really is taking God at his word, that he will do what he has said. You see it there in verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. What he's saying there is he trusted in Jesus. He believed that Jesus had done what he said he would do. And now a wonderful life for him can begin. And it did for all those ten lepers, didn't it? But there's a bit of a twist in the tale. There's one more thing for us to learn this morning as we think about this story. It's not just about cleansing. It's also about thankfulness. Thankfulness is essential. Just have a look from verses 15 to 18. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, if you were waiting for the thankfulness bit, thanks for being patient. Um, Having laid all that groundwork now, we see just how thankful these men should have been. Healed from sickness, cleansed from their uncleanness, cleared of their social stigma, able to re-enter society. But only one of them, out of the ten, comes back to say thank you. Curiously, this man is so thankful he doesn't even make it to the priests. He comes back. Um, we're not told whether he was, there's a bit of con- controversy in this passage, because which priest is he going to? Is he going to the ones in Jerusalem? Is he going to the ones in Mount Gerizim? Well, this guy comes and shows himself to Jesus. It echoes Jesus' words in John 4, speaking to another Samaritan outcast. John four nineteen to 24 again, it's on the back of your notice sheets. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What Jesus is saying there is it's no longer about places. It's not about Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. It's about people. In fact, more than that, it's about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The true place where we meet with God. And the Samaritan leper gets this. Look at what he does in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He praises God. And he falls down at Jesus' feet and thanks him. 
He doesn't go to a temple. He doesn't go to a mountain. He comes to Jesus. Now, in nearly all the miracles that Jesus performs, the people thank God. But here, the man goes a bit further. He falls at Jesus' feet and thanks him. Now, if Jesus was a mere man, that would be shocking, in a way, that to fall at his feet thanking God. But he's commended for it. Jesus is pleased with his response. Jesus accepts the praise that normally only God gets. And Jesus receives it gratefully. A clue to Jesus' real identity, that Jesus is God himself. So if we want to do business with God, we come to Jesus. And in fact, Jesus seems surprised that only one of the ten has come back to him. Only one of them even stops to say thank you for being healed and cleansed. I don't know about you, but uh, when I hear older people talk, they always make out that today is worse than years gone by, don't they? No offence to older folk amongst us this morning. But you always say, oh, people aren't as thankful as they used to be. Never say please and thank you. But that sort of thing is not a new thing, is it? It's a very old thing. Uh, and the other ones you see here, they, they, I'm sure they were very happy. But happiness with what we're given doesn't equal thankfulness with what we're given. We actually need to thank the one who has given us the wonderful gifts, not just have a vague sense of happiness at having received them. You see, as God gives us things, we mustn't separate the gifts from the giver. When we enjoy the good gifts God gives us without reference to him, the Bible actually calls that idolatry, loving the gifts above the giver. So we need to thank the one who gave us what we have. And the Samaritan leper gets this, doesn't he? He comes to Jesus. He falls at his feet. He's so thankful. And he gives him thanks. He gets it. He's thankful to the one whom thanks is due. But the other nine do not get that commendation that Jesus gives to this man, that his faith has made him well. Well, friends, this morning we have lots of things to be thankful for, don't we? All those things we mentioned earlier, you know, the fruits and the... Uh, the vegetables, but there's more serious things, aren't there? Our life, our health. But this morning, we've got something specially to be thankful for. If we've come to Christ already, we know that, we know that cleansing, don't we? That's not just skin deep, but that penetrates to the soul. We can be thankful for a cleansing that we could never do ourselves, but needs to be done for us, like the lepers in this passage. Although we were stained with sin, Jesus died. To cleanse us with his blood. And we'll remember that in a few moments time when we share bread and wine. But whatever is happening in our lives, whether the cupboard is full or bare, whether physically we feel like a leper or an Olympian, we can always give thanks for that cleansing that Jesus brings. In fact, we should always be giving thanks for that cleansing that Jesus brings. We have more to thank him for than those lepers who walked away. Jesus has brought us from life to death. Sorry, death. Get the right way around. Death to life. Hell to heaven. How can we not but praise God, fall down at his feet and thank him? How awful would it be for us to be like those other nine and experience that cleansing, but never really thank the one who did it? And this morning, if you haven't come to Jesus for cleansing... It's nothing more than what that poor leper did. He was aware of his problem, wasn't he? He was aware of his uncleanness. He asked Jesus for mercy. And he put his faith in him for cleansing. He turned from his own way of life. 
and in response lived a life of thankfulness to the Lord Jesus. And if you want to know about more about that, you can speak to me afterwards. But harvest and thankfulness go hand in hand, don't they? We've got lots to be thankful for. And Jesus' cleansing and a life of thankfulness go hand in hand too. So let's pray that God would make us thankful for all that he has given us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for his death that cleanses us. Father, we thank you that although we were unclean, although we weren't able to come into your presence, Father, thank you that Jesus has opened up that way to you. Father, thank you that we can now be forgiven of our sin. And Father, help us to live a life of thankfulness. Uh, Father, as we uh, consider each day what you've done for us, what you do for us, and especially the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did for us on the cross. Amen. Amen.